with Yesenia to talk about Malinche by Laura Esquivel. It's a novel that kind of merges fiction and history to tell the story of Malinche. And I say that it mixes fiction with actual facts and history because there's a lot of things like factually that we don't know about Malinche. Like, I think one of the most tragic things about her as a figure is that actually nobody knows who her real name is because Marinari itself was not her given name at birth. Malinche, which is a variant of, that's what the Spaniards would call her. That is like a Spa like a Spaniard bastardization of this name that was imposed on her. And I think that like the fact that we don't actually know her birth name or her preferred name, I think also says a lot about Malinche's agency and and also how agency that she's had over her own story because Malinche has become this like, cultural figure in Mexican and I think more largely like Latinx culture and is really heavily loaded with all these things about being a race traitor and wild stuff. So I just wanted to give that little preview because it's a novel, but it's based on this historical figure that did exist. So Yesenia, I wanted to ask you, when was the first time that you heard about Malinche? Because like I said, she's a really prominent figure. Mm -hmm. So I'm Mexican. And the first time I heard the word Malinche, I, it wasn't actually in context of her. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like referring to her. It was like an insult to someone. Mm -hmm. You know, a Malinche is someone that's just like a bad spirited, like just a bad person. Mm -hmm. So like that's the first time I heard about the word Malinche. And then actually I actually didn't learn about her until I want to say my junior year in college when I took an Aztecs and the Conquest history history class and that's when I learned what my who she really was and mm -hmm. not just like the saying of a Malinche. Mm -hmm. Yeah I think it's very wild when you were younger you just processed her as being bad mm -hmm. as being a bad person because like I said this historical figure and the supposed events surrounding her life have really have become this whole larger thing and, and it's obviously so related to patriarchy too because it's just it's women specific women and women of color and indigenous women that get hated in this particular way yeah and the thing is like, when you hear about malinche it's not even a person anymore yeah that's she true. lost it's a malinche. yeah she lost her her humanity it's mm -hmm. a thing it's a bad thing like it's not a bad person it's a bad thing yeah so and to give another example of how culturally she's been represented, Octavio Paz is actually considered an amazing Mexican author, really highly regarded, regarded in the world of literature. And he wrote The Labyrinth of Solitude, El Labyrinth de Soledad. And in it, he, he has this whole explanation mm -hmm. for why Mexican-Americans have a quote-unquote inferiority complex. And he says, he says that Malinche is like, the mother of the Mexican nation, yeah. which is that's so much to place onto one person. Yeah, I actually read La Marinta de la Soledad, and he there's this part that it's nuts because he calls Mexicans hijos de la chingada, right? La chingada is Malinche, yeah, which you're just like, whoa, what the hell? And then he like goes into explanation and saying Mexicans are born out of rape, right? And it's like. Because chingada means... It's basically like the fucked one. Yeah. So it's... You're like, ah, shit. <laughs> like, 
that's kind of hard to think about. Yeah, we're a lot of us are. I mean, the, the origins are Spaniards raping mm -hmm. indigenous women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so he. The reason why he felt like Malinche was a source of Mexicans' inferiority complex is because he was like, okay, so Mexicans are, he was in a chingada, they're a product of this rape. And then I forget what he describes Spaniards as, but basically he says, their mothers are not raped. Their mothers engage in consensual sex, and so they're not tainted. Mm -hmm. But because the Mexican nation was born out of rape, it's always going to be inferior. And... I just think that that's really absurd <laughs> and I just think that proves the value of post-colonial theory. This idea that even if we don't know all of the historical facts, we can still take these stories and reinvent them to mean something meaningful to us. So I guess with that, we can kind of dive into Laura Esquivel's interpretation of Malinche because there's so many people have commented on this figure. So many people have tried to fill in the gaps in her story because really all that we know to factually be true is that she was born to a family that had some kind of status, but was eventually sold as a slave to someone else, to a different indigenous community. Mm -hmm. And then Cortez came and he well i guess how did she become his interpreter at that point i think that the according to laura i think that they gave her to him like the that indigenous yeah family. okay so her mom after her grandma died her mom gave her away i don't know if she gave her away or sold her but she no i think she's well i think she might have sold yeah her. so to yeah. like another indigenous peoples mm -hmm. and then when cortez came they gave her to him Mm -hmm. Because what I think a lot of people don't understand is the Aztecs were not well liked. Mm -hmm. So yeah, <laughs> they were like, "Cool, look at this guy. <laughs> we give him things mm -hmm. and people." <laughs> apparently, yeah. So yeah, and so then after that happens, she became his interpreter because she knew multiple languages as a result of having grown up in her own community and someone else's. She could speak nahuatl and mine and so as a result she was super useful in interpreting because he cortez and soldiers can communicate with folks was there was there a part where she was it was her grandmother that really that always yeah. cared for her right i thought that was so interesting because I, I feel like that's i guess i was gonna say it's a trope because the same thing happened in their eyes were watching god so neil hurst i feel like where failed mothers step in, I feel like grandmother's always there yeah. to take over. But her grandmother was the woman who was kind to her, and then her mother was really indifferent towards mm -hmm. her, which I think is kind of an, which I think is kind of interesting for Laura Esquivel to decide, like her decision to do that. Because I don't know. I guess like, what do you think she was trying to do with that? Because I guess she was like, yeah. you know, she's she's making up that Malinche had yeah. for sure this like grandmother that really cared about her well I think I mean just to begin with like the birth scene I actually really like there's a part where she's talking about that as you say when you're giving birth dar a luz mm -hmm. and you never think about it but like she talks about it as like giving light which I was like oh like mm -hmm. that's a really cool way to put it like you never think about you know, as a woman like giving light mm -hmm. which I thought that was a cool way to put it so it was weird to have it be explained in such I mean obviously you can see 
it's hard because her grandma was like, damn, I'm gonna have to kill this baby. Died the mom so the mom doesn't die. But then, you know, the baby fought through and made it. And it was described in like a really beautiful way. Mm -hmm. And then for the mom to be like, eh, you know, that was kind of like, oh, that's a little weird. But then I guess, I mean, I kind of get it just because of, it was such, for the mom, it was such a hard experience, like physically, mm -hmm. I guess, but... I mean, yeah. if, like, that's the metric for whether or not you're going to have a good mom, is the like, yeah. or not, I feel like most people would be yeah. fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, for no fault of their own. Yeah. So, I don't know. That was, I thought that was a weird choice. That was a weird choice. But... I thought it was a weird choice because it kind of perpetuates this hatred of mothers, mm -hmm. which I think is ultimately hatred of women. Like, kind of related to that thing that started in the 70s where... Everybody in the U.S. thought that like gay men were created by yeah. like overbearing moms or like yeah. overbearing mothers and like oh like you know I don't know because this kind of implies like if Manichan had a caring mother maybe the Mexican nation state wouldn't have been born out of rape. <laughs> it's all the mother's fault. Yeah, and so it's still kind of doing that same yeah. thing, and so it's kind of a disappointing choice for a woman to make, especially because there's literally no reason. Because my thing is she was probably really fucked. And like it was probably really difficult to live and survive if you weren't a royal person yeah. with status or like one of the people that's born into status. Yeah. And because of patriarchy, Malinship was likely a burden on the family, not able to contribute financially. Mm -hmm. And so it was probably just like a, a really a cruel but economic choice. Yeah. And so I thought it was interesting that she would that she would add emotion into that calculus, that she actually she would make it about the mother's indifference as opposed to this practical reality that she was likely living in. I mean, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not an expert of that yeah. time period, so I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know to what extent this could be possible or to what extent it really would just be about money. I mean, it, of course it could be about both. Yeah. But I would have wanted to know her reasoning for why yeah. she, she did that to the mother well, figure. But then later on in the book, she gives up her son too. Malinche. Mm -hmm. So they kind of, she kind of puts it back. Of, she feels like this hatred for herself for like giving up her kid, her how her mom gave her up. Mm -hmm. And that scene, I don't remember where it is, of her chasing her kid. Like the kid crying and be like, what is <laughs> happening? Yeah. I thought that was really, like, I don't know. I didn't know if it was her trying to remedy the, the previous mom, her mom, her mom. giving, giving mm -hmm. her up. But I, I I think in there you can really see that her her lack of choice. Right. Of she really had no choice and then the second that she did she went to she chased this kid down to go get him. So mm -hmm. I think at least in when she gave her kid up, you could really see there was this lack of choice. It wasn't the indifference, it wasn't like I don't love my kid, it was just he doesn't belong to me. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, but I also think it's interesting that it didn't cause her to also reflect on her mother's choices, mm -hmm. because like, because I I just really wonder why Esquivel suggests that for Malinche was a forced choice, but for her mother it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you read like Water for Chocolate by Laura Skiven? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I read that when I was younger. And I the only reason I brought it up is because she's well, I don't know, do you think she's kinda white looking? 
Yeah, well, also, <laughs> in the cover of the book, Marlene says hello, wife. Yeah, so I want to talk about that. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know if this is the only edition or what, but... <laughs> Malin that's the same, very white. Yeah, that's the same one I have. She she's very European looking. Which yeah. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. And okay, so I guess we should just dive in why it's problematic for this idea to exist that like this one woman was the birth of the Mexican nation state because the group of people that live on the land that's called Mexico have had such mar- such so many more complex experiences mm-hmm. than just that you know yeah like yes colonization existed yes rape existed but also there were indigenous communities who fought and resisted and kept up their own traditions and kept mm-hmm. up their own lifestyles and their own community and then I, I just i think that it's such a weird origin story because i feel like it does emphasize the european ancestry of mexico mm-hmm. it, it really centers it and that's why I was really disappointed by her choice to make her light-skinned and to have her have green eyes because is, yeah. is this what you, especially going with the fact that you did perpetuate this narrative of Maninches, the mother of mm-hmm. Mexico, why would you have her be white? Yeah, then? why is she so white? <laughs> especially describing her birth as, as such a indigenous experience, mm-hmm. you know, of like the obsidian knife and like the water and all the gods being perpetrated and then she European with the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, I... I guess, so like I read, when I read Water for Chocolate, it had, it had a lot, I thought it was really amazing book and it had a lot of magical realism. It was, it was supposed to, yeah, it was like supposed to be like, you know, kind of like akin to reality, but there were all these supernatural elements that really couldn't be explained. And I thought that, and then she would mention indigeneity a lot too. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. And then I saw what she looked like and I was like, uh, wait, this is weird. <laughs> Why is this white woman talking about indigeneity like that kind of in an exoticizing way in like Water for Chocolate? Mm-hmm. And then why did she make Manicha white in this novel? And also, okay, now we have to get into how she depicted her relationship with Cortez, which I think is super problematic and super fucking weird. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, I wanted to do that after introducing the, lo- the author's whiteness. Because yeah. So the way that she tells it is, yes, Manicha was forced to be, to belong to Cortez. But over time, she, she writes that Malinche develops a sexual attraction to Cortez mm-hmm. and describes her sex as consensual. Mm-hmm. When there's just literally nothing in the historical record that would point to that being true and actually just thinking about how the Spanish interacted with indigenous yeah. people, it's just, I think we can all just safely assume that that wasn't consensual. Also, the way she described it too, it was like she like went into detail to describe sensuality Like she it. was a kid. Yeah. Like she was... Right. She was right. a kid. Yeah, we held her... I mean, I don't remember if she mentions this in the novel, but she was like 14 or 15. Yeah. I think she does mention it in the novel. She might have made it older, like 16, but... Yeah, yeah. she was a kid. Right. I mean, I think reading this book as like a Mexican, it's... It kind of fucks you up a little bit. Yeah. So like, I went to school in Mexico for like first grade. And I remember in my mind, it's like burned this little song that we used to sing about the three ships that Columbus came on. It's like, La Niña, La Pinta, La Santa Maria. <laughs> you're just like, you just know it. Whoa. Yeah. So then it, going through that education and it, you know, discovered America and you know, all those things, you know, Mark Cortez and Aztecs and all this thing. It's kind of like very much the pilgrims, like, you know, Thanksgiving just happens. Like yeah. the pilgrims and the Native Americans friends kind of yeah. thing. No, it's very scary. My mom also, she has told me that 
the one of the things she remembers from history class is that Christopher Columbus. Yeah, like, like his it's, arrival. It's like burned. She was like, yeah, that's like, really, I, I don't know. I really feel like that's like the majority of what we learned because that's the only thing I remember. Yeah. That's so fucking scary. Like, who knows why she remembered that one specific Yeah, so, and I mean, and that's what I remember too. And then, so like coming here, being like a Mexican American, I feel like a lot of the times we were like, all right, you know, colonization. And they're like, Yes, the Aztecs, you know, the Aztecs is Mexico. And then you're like, no, there was like all these other different tribes and the Aztecs were kind of assholes. And which is why like all these other tribes were, you know, I think we forget, we we tend to look at this time period as like Spaniards versus indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, there was so many layers. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying too. That's why I find this story super simplistic because Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it tries to be the racial narrative of Mexico, but it doesn't go far enough to be able to no. do that because, and that's why this whole, because like, okay, so out of Marinche Cortes, that's this whole idea of like mestizaje, mm-hmm. that's this, like that's the identity that I think a lot of Latin Americans identify with. It's this idea that you're part indigenous, you're part Spanish, you don't, you've lost touch with your indigenous mm-hmm. roots, you don't know who you are, so you just say you're mestizo. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is that that erases Afro-Latinos, Afro-Mexicans, which do exist, mm-hmm. that erases indigenous communities in Mexico that have always existed and continue to exist. And I think that this this telling of Manicha's story just perpetuates that idea. that Because yeah. it just centers this history of Spain. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a way to tell that story without doing that. Yeah, I think I think she did miss like the level of like it's not like the black and white like there's a gray. You yeah. know, you can say like maybe as a kid you can think like that this is consensual, but like she never like the I feel like the power dynamic in this relationship was not outlined as it should have. Like as a fourteen year old, you, you can't even consent. if you think you you're consenting. Right. When there's this older man, you are his literal slave. Yeah, right. Like, you literally, you can't. Even if you think that that's what you're doing, like, yeah. it's not. It's right. not what you're doing. Right. Yeah, and I think Laura Skiba, that's why I was disappointed, because I feel like she... This is such a trope in mm. literature and movies, the, like, 17-year-old girl, or the, like, 17-and-a-half-year-old girl, mm. the, like, almost an adult girl that is sexualized and people kind of make it i don't know they just justify it in these weird ways and like this kind of shit is how it gets justified it perpetuates this idea that like you can consent when there's this huge power Mm -hmm. differential and like you just can't i think this was very much like disney's pocahontas yeah kind of thing i think it's like but with more explicit details she's she's like old (laughs) enough like she's young enough to where it's like i guess like a sexualized yeah sexualized but she's old enough to where you're not like super uncomfortable Right. You know what I mean? In the story. Because, no, she was 14. You right. know, just like Pocahontas was 12 or mm-hmm. 11 or mm-hmm. however old she was. Um, so I think... I don't know why authors are so afraid of readers being uncomfortable. It's like, this is a bad... Like, this is an uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Well, the thing was, her writing made me uncomfortable. She, oh, yeah. <laughs> if she was trying to make me way. feel comfortable, she didn't achieve that goal for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess, like... Moving off of that point, how do you understand Maninche's agency? This is a question that I have a lot because 
it's I think that's kind of what kills me about her is that she's in this dynamic that's where she is raped, where she's like held against her will. And uh, and also she's been used as this figure in Mexican culture and like Latinx culture to to mean you that you're a traitor, you're a race traitor, you're a bad person. And she never got to tell her own story. Yeah. And so how do we understand her agency then? Well, I think, I mean, you start with the fact that we don't know her name. So, oh, a, Malin Sin, yeah. Yeah, Malin Sin or something like that. So I'm like, we don't know her name, A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and most of the names we know are given to her by other people. By other people. I mean, our names are given to us by other people, but like, yeah. I feel like to a certain point, you're like, that's my name. Like, I claim it. Yeah. But we never got to see that from her, like, in the book. Um, or anything like that. So I think just there, there's no agency, there's no name, which mm-hmm. I think a name is so tied to who you are. Mm-hmm. And then I think kind of like when we talk about consent, I don't think she could ever develop an agency of any kind. Yeah. You know, because she was a slave as a kid. She was, you know, by other indigenous people, then she was a slave by Cortes. And it's like, you're my wife now no you're this other guy's wife now and it's i think the only times in the book oh because cortez gives her away right yeah to to this other guy so like i think the only times in the book where we see which again is why it's so infuriating for her to describe this relationship as consensual and romantic because it just obviously wasn't like yeah just without knowing really the personal details of it just by the facts of she was his interpreter, and then he gave her away to another man. Shows that he thought of her yeah. as property. Exactly. Like, out of anger. Right. Like, he gave her away out of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, the only times in the book where she has agency is when she's thinking about her grandma, and she's like, you know, my grandma told me to, like, center myself, and she, like, centers herself in the, like, in, in the land. and So I think that's kind of the author's way of trying to tie it back to like indigenous connection to the land Mm -hmm. but I don't think there was enough of it Mm -hmm. and I think and I mean she wouldn't also she wouldn't be allowed to have that connection with the land as well because it's like part of like oh you have to be catholic now and you have to do this so honestly I don't think she ever in her life in the book nor in real life ever had any kind of agency I think it's important to acknowledge that, like, even if all she did was imagine that, I think that that's the resistance. Mm-hmm. Because I think that we always have agency, even if it's difficult to locate. And I think with her, also another type of her resistance might be that she kind of resists definition. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yes, everyone has a different riff on her story. And also what that means is that there is no one story of Manichim. Mm-hmm. You know, in the way that, like, you can't describe a woman in a, in a one-dimensional way. Um, that being said, I think we could definitely critique the more problematic depictions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we've done here. <coughs> I know, it's just kind of sad to think about it. Like, the... This woman who who was vilified by an entire country you know and its descendants Mm -hmm. and then now 
now people are thinking about it in more of a all right you know maybe maybe this other thing happened maybe she wasn't a traitor but in that maybe she wasn't a traitor it's this like hypersexualized like thing you know mm -hmm. and it's it's like you go from one bad thing i think to like another bad thing yeah with, with her I, it's just kind of sad to think like her story her like real story is mm -hmm. not gonna be told because nobody knows it mm -hmm. just like many indigenous women mm -hmm. in you know insert country here that was colonized by europe mm -hmm. it's not like none of their stories are gonna get told yeah or at least not told accurately yeah yeah which i think is what is sad about her story is that everybody has a say in it except for her mm -hmm. What do you think about the people that argue that Mestizo is a race and that it was created when Marinche and Cortez's son was born? <sighs> um, I don't know. The whole time I was reading the book, I thought about um, this poem called Yo Soy Joaquin. Mm -hmm. Have you, mm -hmm. you read it? Mm -hmm. um, and I've always liked that poem just because... Uh, Rodolfo Gonzalez in it talks about like within a Mexican there's always like this internal conflict and I want to say within like Mexicans that kind of take time to think about it there's this internal conflict of like you know yeah like I lost root to my indigenous you know to any indigenous background I had um, but then at the same time like I don't want to identify as, mm -hmm. like, the European side mm -hmm. either. Um, so then there's, like, this really kind of, like, battle of, like, I don't know if I would, I, I don't know if I would say it is to race. Because, yeah, like, cause I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't think it is either. But, like, what you were talking about, you know, earlier, saying that it is, I think, really erases the indigenous people that are still mm -hmm. in Mexico, the you know, the Afro Latinos because they're not considered mestizos. Mm -hmm. Um have you seen there's like I forget what they're called, but there's these like big artworks where they defined what the mix of every race was. Have you ever seen those? Mm -hmm. So it's like they put like a criollo and a mestizo create this. And it's like uh Espanol and a mestizo make this, mm -hmm. um, or a mestizo and an espanol make this. Mm -hmm. You know, two Spaniards in Mexico make a criollo, and it's like all the combinations that like existed at the time in Mexico, what they make mm -hmm. and what they're called. And I think those are like it's insane. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we could say that mestizo is a race in the sense that like. In Latin America, it is perceived as distinct from indigenous. Like, you can have indigenous features, but still be read as mestizo mm -hmm. if you speak Spanish, if you've adopted the Catholic religion, yeah. it, especially if you live in, in a big populated city as opposed to, like, in rural areas. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we, I guess we could, but I guess the reason why I state is because that seems to be about, like, social status markers more than, like, your physical looks because I think somebody who would be read as indigenous would be able to have well I don't know 
would all. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard very to confusing. think about. It's yeah. a just because I again I think we we tend to forget. I yeah like my apprehension about mestizo is that you're right. It does erase everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's. Mm-hmm. And it's, because it's always that Mexico is the race, is mm-hmm. like a nation comprised of mestizos, and it's mm-hmm. just not true. And it, no, and there's so many more people. And I think, I mean, for me, I feel like I very much look like what people would think a mestizo looks like. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a little bit brown, mm-hmm. long, like dark hair, but like not indigenous looking. And so I think. There's, like, even in my family, not everybody looks like me. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to to really... I mean, it's, it's nuts because not even until a few years ago, I learned about, you know, the, the populations of uh, Afro-Mexicans and, like, Veracruz and right. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then... Because you don't even think about it. Like, well, because the... Mestizaje narrative has been really successfully deployed by the Mexican government. That's why you it took you until you were what, like twenty five, mm-hmm. yeah, to learn about that. Yeah, because they're really good at it. Yeah, and it's I mean, especially the more north you get. I mean, my my family's from Sinaloa, so like super north. It it, it becomes more mm-hmm. of a narrative of like the mestizo or like. But also, I think it's interesting how in Spanish, like, how we describe people and we give them nicknames, like, güero. Yeah, it, yeah, that's the thing about Latin America is, like, I feel like, you know, with this, especially with this term Latinx, like, it, al- it allows certain people to avoid talking about race. Yes. Like, at Stanford, there were so many white Latinos who never were challenged. Their Latinidad was never challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's because it's been understood as just, are you, is your family in any way geographically tied to Latin America? Yeah. And, like, a lot of people have migrated to Latin America or colonized Latin yeah. America. And so there's racial categories that are, you know contextually different than the u.s but in many ways are parallel to the u.s racism it's i mean my sister i just think about my sister she's a little bit darker than me and uh my mom always called her negra like as a nickname and Mm -hmm. it wasn't a bad thing you know what i mean like my nickname growing up just because i was always a little bit chunkier it was gorda (laughs) and i remember like in like my first year of law school i had this white friend come over and she heard my mom be like, hey, go to that. And I was like, what? And, like, she about wanted to die. Your friend? My friend, because she was, like, because she speaks a little bit of Spanish. And she's like, oh, my God, your mom just called you that. And I was like, like, that's so, you know, to me, because I never, you never think about it. Um, it never affected you? It never affected your body image? No. Really? And it was so weird. And, like, again, like, my sister, like, my sister is negra and I'm gorda. And it was just, like, a thing. And growing up, you know, like... I think it's one, I think those nicknames are things that are like posited as not meaning yeah. anything, and then so you believe that it doesn't mean anything, but like actually yeah. it means something. And then you know it, what I mean? Like, cause it's just like like my little brother was always called Chele, and like it means it. It says something that like we all wanted to say in particular how white he looked. Uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and I just remember growing up, a lot of my friends 
for the longest time, I didn't know their names, like their actual names, mm-hmm. just because everyone has a nickname, you know, like I had a friend called uh, Chupon because he had big lips and I didn't realize it was because he had big lips mm-hmm. until like, I was like, oh shit, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it goes back to kind of like the names, I guess, that we like give each other, like with Malinche and all that stuff, like you don't realize a lot of the times like the the descriptive factors that they have and then you don't realize when you're growing up in it all of the the like the low-key like colorism and mm-hmm. racism and until you kind of step back from it a little bit yeah that's my thing it's like my, that my like my aunt for example is like really committed to the idea that racism doesn't exist in El Salvador <laughs> and she's like no like we, it, we're just different than the US like yes like we have nicknames for each other like Negra and Chile and like blah 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 but like we don't mean anything by it mm-hmm. it's all in good fun it's all like mm-hmm. it's all nice and I and I really just think that that is like such a toxic ideology because it's like the fact that you feel like those traits in particular are the ones that need to be called out about a person are the, that are the ones that we need to like they're so important that we need to refer to them by that says a lot about how you understand society and yeah. different people's worth in that society and I think because it's so ubiquitous these names like it get a lot of people use it as an excuse to say no 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 mm-hmm. like we're not racist it's just you just don't understand it's just a thing but it's not just a thing or yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean I think just coming here and I think going to college because I went to I went to San Diego for college and kind of stepping away from like my family and like stepping away from my culture a little bit as much as it sucks because USC was like a very white school mm-hmm. you kind of start realizing no, University of San Diego. Oh, Diego, uh, yeah. oh UCSD. Yeah. Okay. USD. USD. There's like four in San Diego. <laughs> um, it, you kind of start realizing those things that you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I, I had a, my ex, he's a half black, half white, and my mom would call him Café con Leche, and I was like, yo, <laughs> no. <laughs> to his face? Yeah, and well, she thought it was like a cute... She thought, it, yeah, yeah, like, like she loved him. She thought it was like a cute thing, you know. My sister's nickname is Negra, like, yeah. So she, well, was see, like, that's how you know. It's like that, like, family thing that you grew up with that's familiar. It's like when you take it out of context. When you give it to it another person, you. it helps you see how yeah. it's weird. Yeah, like when you give it to another person, I was like, oh. yeah. Like, oh my god, no, what are you that. doing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hmm. I mean, yeah. So we've been talking for like. 45 minutes, which is usually the length of an episode. Is there anything else you want to come about? Um, I mean, there's just so much, but like... There's so... It's, it's hella problematic. I know. Um, I don't know. I just couldn't stop thinking of like Pocahontas the whole time. Mm-hmm. And like the same bastardization of that story. Yeah. I think that's a good reference point for people who maybe haven't heard of Malinche mm-hmm. and like want... I don't know if I'd... Rec- would, you, uh, would you recommend this book? I don't think I would, because um, I think that there's other ways to learn about money each other that yeah. are like, more respectful and historically accurate. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I agree. I, I I like there's certain parts that I like. Like I re- I like the beginning. Yeah, I do like the beginning mm-hmm. of like 
referencing her grandmother, yeah, yeah her grandmother referencing to, like the water and tying it back but i think overall she falls victim to the whole like history's written by the victors kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah i know i think we would like at Malinche in another way and also this freaking cover man i can't exactly yeah it's kind of just like oh i feel like i need to read it to understand Malinche's cultural significance mm-hmm. because she's such a prominent writer but i don't think other people need to read it <laughs> <laughs> agree all right let's just end there then yeah <laughs> bye everyone <laughs>